chapter 28. I know we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, but I wanted to preach uh, just a a message on its own this morning that I hope will be a good reminder to all of us, and I think just something that all of us need, uh, just as a regular helpful reminder. Uh, As we get started, I just want you to imagine for a moment uh, that you and a friend have taken the weekend to go fishing here on some lake in Alberta. And you get to the lake and uh, you launch your boat and you get it out on the wire or water, fire up the motor and you decide, you know, the place that we want to fish is actually literally on the other side of the lake because that's normally how it goes. Like the good, I don't know, the boat launches and the where you want to fish, it's always like the opposite side. But you fire up the motor and you just start ripping across the lake uh, to get to the spot that you want to fish. And you get about halfway across the lake and all of a sudden your motor just putt, 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 dies. And there you are. You know, you've got the oars. You were hoping you'd never have to use them. Uh, but if you don't get that motor started, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to your boat at that point? Well, unless you get the motor going, your boat's just going to drift. It's going to drift over here. It's going to drift over there. It's going to drift uh, everywhere, depending on the way that the wind is blowing. As we open up our Bibles today, uh, just as our elders have talked, we feel that it would be good just to have a, a little bit of a heart-to-heart. Obviously, I'm the only one talking here. Um but uh, here's here's why I say that. We feel like there's an enormous amount of really good and awesome things going on here at, at Beaumont Baptist Church. Just to give you some examples, uh, I think that we're watching people take very intentional steps in their pursuit of Jesus Christ and wanting to grow and want to, to pursue him and be more like Jesus and be discipled and, and follow him. Uh, we're watching people grow in their faithfulness to the Lord and His church. I mean, that, that's happening right before uh, many of our eyes. And watching others come and, and want to grow and, and show up here and even almost immediately go, Hey, I think I like this place and, you know, I, I wanna, I wanna be core and I wanna be committed and I wanna be a part of this thing. And watching others intentionally invest in the lives of other people and, and trying to be a spiritual mentor and, and, and help other people grow. And others who um, would actively be seeking help with their hurts or their struggles with sin. Hey, I'm not in a great spot, but I want to be. And I, I want to try to, to, to grow and I want to work through this and I want to work through that. Uh, others who are stepping up and, and leading and serving uh, many with with or without a title. I, I just believe that God wants me to serve. This is what Christians do. And others who would be pulling heavy loads, some in a public way, some in a really private way. And others who, and I just want to share the gospel with my coworkers and my family and my friends. And I just want to take this message of good news and watching people get involved. I mean, I could tell so many things. I, I would love to just tell a bunch of individual stories, but I won't take the time to do that. But so many of the good things that are going on, they're not necessarily big and, and, and public. And it's just people taking next steps to follow Jesus and trying to pursue him and loving one another. And it's awesome. And it's exciting. And we hope that you feel that and, and that you can sense that. And personally, uh, as elders, we just want to keep seeing that multiplying and growing and snowballing in a good way that's pleasing to the Lord by the grace of God. And we want to protect that and make sure that we keep uh, weeding the garden, so to speak, of the things that would stifle and choke out the life that God wants to be here. And uh, we believe that one of the things that could really pour water on the flame and choke out the life and growth and, and, and spiritual vitality that God wants every church to have uh, here is if, if people are out on the water and their motors died and they're just drifting. 
And I think that very easily happens to just about everybody from time to time. It's really easy for devotion to Jesus Christ to wane, often even in the midst of great things happening and going on. And so it's always worth examining ourselves regarding our love and our devotion to Jesus Christ. And that's going to show up in all kinds of different ways. It's going to show up in, in my love for my Bible and my desire to spend time with him. It's going to show up in my, my battle with sin. It's going to show up in my love for my neighbor. Um, but uh, I want to focus on a couple realms in particular this morning. I think the dynamics of the last two years have created a greenhouse for spiritual drift. Just, I mean, just all kinds of things. Uh, a lot of isolation for people. I think that many people have felt that their life is on hold. Um, you know, in, in some ways, I think on the church side of things, it could feel like, oh, how do you even plan? And it, it almost feels like church is on hold, even though it's not. The mission's never on hold. That maybe programmatic side of things slows down or whatever. But I think with some of that comes a, just a bit of a, a numbness. I don't know about you. I have often felt just very numb over the last couple of years. And maybe not so much looking forward and making plans. And I think you also have dynamics where over the last couple of years, people realize, you know, prior to COVID or in the middle of COVID, you know, I don't think I'm where God wants me. And I, I don't think that God wants me at the church that I'm at currently. And so they realized that they needed to leave one church, but they didn't necessarily have one that they knew they were going to go to next. And the last couple of years have been an extremely, extremely difficult time to be in search of one. Um, and I've, I've had so many conversations with people. Just another one recently this last week where someone was explaining that dynamic to me of searching for a church in COVID. And I thought, oh man, I just, I do not envy you. <laughs> you know, you walk in, you don't like, what's the culture here on COVID? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, am I going to offend? It's just a hard time. Your devotion to Christ is going to show up in many different places. And uh, as I said, we, we, we've been in the last couple of years just a dynamic that, that has just lended itself towards spiritual drift. And uh, specifically this morning, your devotion to Christ is going to show, show up in many different places. But I want to ask you about your commitment, first and foremost, to the mission. And as part of that, your commitment to a local church as a manifestation of your love and commitment to Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you this, this big overall question. Are you committed to Jesus Christ? And I need to ask myself that. You need to ask yourself that. We ought to regularly ask ourselves that question. And so as I ask you that question, I want to do so by way of three reminders this morning. First, the church has a mission in the world. Uh, by the way, I'm not going to really um, go word by word through a, a paragraph of Scripture like we would normally do this week. I'm going to share things that you probably already know uh, very simply and just try to apply it this morning. Matthew chapter 28, I want to look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus said to his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We call that the Great Commission. Uh, probably most of you have heard this text preached on maybe even dozens of times. It represents Christ's last command to his followers. The church has a mission in the world. What is it? Well, stated simply, the mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ 
for the glory of God. That is what Christ left us here to do. It really comes down to two words in this text, make disciples. And uh, if you've heard this text preached on, almost every other phrase in the text hangs on those two words, make disciples. It's critical that the mission become crystal clear in each of our minds. And, and if it becomes clear to us what the mission is, then it also becomes clear what the mission is not. There are many things that God commands and invites us to do uh, while we're here on earth during the time of uh, what Peter called in 1 Peter chapter 1, our, our sojourning. We're God's chosen sojourners. He's saved us and we're living here and now, but this is not our home. But all these other things that we would do, um, they all end up pointing in some way and are, and are subservient to the mission. For example, God's called you to work. In fact, work is pre-fall. God told Adam and Eve uh, to work in the garden before they ever sinned. It was a good thing. It's God's plan really for all of us that we would be people who who work. And that's how we pay our bills. It's how we we, we purchase our clothes and put a roof over our head and provide and, and be generous with others. It's through our work. It's good. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, we just heard a message uh, preached a couple weeks back on uh, that book, and it would just highlight again and again, enjoy your life. You know, it's okay to have fun. You don't have to be a Scrooge going around, well, I just have to work all day, and I'm never allowed to have fun, and I'm never allowed to laugh, and I'm never allowed to go on a holiday. I just need to be a miserable servant of Jesus. That's not what the scriptures teach. Enjoy life and remember your creator and the days of your youth. And even as, as God's people do that, it somehow it, it reflects and points towards God. Because unbelievers, they, they can't even really do that the way that we can do it. And there are other things, but none of those things are the mission. According to Jesus, the mission is simple. Two words, make disciples. Think with me for a few minutes about the dynamics of this mission. And again, I'm going to share things that I think you already know, but I think it's helpful for us. Let's pause and let's just make sure we get it. The mission of the church is grand and glorious. A disciple, what's a disciple? A disciple is an intense learner or follower of Jesus Christ. So our goal as believers, as a church, is to see people come to know Jesus Christ. We want to introduce people to Jesus and and tell people, here's who Jesus is. He's God, and here's what he did for you. He died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, and and, and, and if you'll repent and believe, you'll have eternal life. And this is our message, and we share it. And once people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we want to see them uh, intensely and passionately follow Jesus. And by the way, you'll never help anybody do that if you're not doing it yourself. What makes the mission so grand and glorious? Well, lots of things. I mean, just think about some things that are at play here, like people's eternal destiny. Think about what's at stake. Within 80 to 100 years, 99.9% of people who are currently on planet Earth will be dead. The overwhelming majority of those people will go on to spend the endless ages of eternity burning in hell for their sin. Hebrews 9, 27. I mean, you just have verses that are so clear like this one that it's appointed for man to die once. That that everybody's going to die. Everybody has an appointment with death. It's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. 
And Jesus in the gospel said that the, the gate is wide, it's huge. That leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. It's like this wide open, massive gate, and people are just being herded through it. And on the flip side, the gate is narrow that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It's a narrow gate. Many people will never find the path of life because they'll never be told about Jesus Christ and what he did for them as we look at it from, from, from the human perspective. We're talking about your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and your family members and your city, Beaumont, and the 20,000 people who inhabit it, Edmonton, Leduc, Devon, Millet, Camerals. And I think the question is, well, who's going to tell all these people that there's actually like good news? Who's going to tell all these people the good news about Jesus Christ? And uh, Paul brought this up in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, which says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an amazing statement. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If your neighbor cries out to Jesus in repentance and faith, your neighbor will be saved. There's no one that's like, no, this, this message isn't for you. Whoever calls, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then verse 14 says, well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Who's going to tell them? And the answer to that question is, well, you and me are going to tell them. That's why we're here. And not everyone is going to believe, but some will. And God's going to powerfully, powerfully, uh, miraculously, sovereignly work to bring people to saving faith. And he uses people like you and me in that process. And they will not just have eternal life, but they will have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When people trust Jesus Christ as their, their Savior and, and, and they become a, attached to other believers in a body and they start to be discipled and taught and mentored and instructed, whether that be formally or, or just kind of life-touching life, informal, uh, helping other people grow, their lives start to change. I mean, they really start to change. But you know what? It's often not just their lives that start to change, often generations of people in their wake. And when I say that, I think about even my own story. I, my personal testimony of salvation, I trust the Christ as a very young boy. I, I do not have some type of, uh, you know, you hear people talk and they have like this really drastic testimony of how God saved them out of this crazy life of sin. And I think my life was just as sinful, but maybe not as crazy looking in that regard. But when I think about my own story, I think about this fact, um, that probably somewhere in the mid-1960s, maybe early 1970s, someone, and I don't know who, but someone told my grandparents about Jesus, I think invited them to church on an Easter Sunday. And at the time, my grandparents had both left um, their spouses and their families. Uh, they and, and come together um and I don't know if they were living together or what at that point, but somebody invited them to church or told them about Jesus. And on some Easter Sunday, way back in the 1960s, my grandparents on my mom's side put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
And somewhere way back there as well, uh, my dad's parents at that same church came to Christ. I, I don't, I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't even tell you the whole story. And their life was, uh, from what I understand, complicated, messy, full of sin back in the 1960s or early 70s. And my parents would have been born or maybe were young at the time. And uh, they met there at that church. And I ended up growing up in a home where I heard the gospel and I was in church every week and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a young boy. And my kids every day hear the gospel now themselves. My, my siblings, their kids are hearing the gospel almost every day. One person invited them to church, told them about Jesus, my grandparents, and here we are decades later, and I could tell you about dozens of people who were impacted by, by that. And there are probably hundreds of people who have impacted my family over the years in terms of discipleship and helping my family grow. And it's not, a, I mean, there's a lot of ugly in this story too, right? As, as is probably the case as you look into your own life and your own story and your own family. But all that came down to is some church, some Christian saying, I'm going to live on mission. The mission is grand and glorious, and at the heart of this mission, and I think we want to be really clear, at the heart of the mission is people. The mission is not buildings, it's not programs, it's people. And those other things, they're important because they're often tools that, that are helpful along the way in the mission. But the mission, it's people, it's names, and it's faces, it's individuals, and it's families, and it's communities. And the mission of the church is a high, high privilege. Keep your finger here in Matthew chapter 28 and join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to go to the passage that we looked at last week on the resurrection. Paul was an apostle commissioned by Jesus Christ to testify of the death of Christ and his resurrection. He had seen him personally, bodily risen from the grave. And it would appear that the apostle Paul was a man who never got over the privilege of doing that. He never got over the fact that he got to testify of the risen Lord. His understanding was that he didn't deserve to do that, but he got to. Now look at verses 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. I, I killed Christians. I'm a murderer, is Paul's story. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's by the grace of God that I've been made an apostle. It's by the grace of God that I, I am a witness of the resurrected Christ. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Remember that it, it's only by the grace of God that you get to share this message. It's only by the grace of God that you even know this message. And it is a high, high privilege, and you get to do it. I get to do it. Also, the mission of the church is urgent and time-sensitive. If you go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, when Jesus gave the Great Commission to go and to make disciples, he said something that was both encouraging and sobering all at the same time. And it comes there at the end of verse 20. He says that I am with you always to the end of the age. It's encouraging. Why? Because, well, God's promised his presence. 
Okay, you you go out on this mission to tell people about me and and to and to to teach and instruct people and and mentor people and and model for them what it looks like to be a disciple, and I'm going to be with you all along the way. But it's sobering because he mentions a timeline: the end of the age. The mission has a time frame. It has a cutoff date. We might say that it's now or never. It's urgent. And it's time sensitive. And most of us can very easily go about our daily lives hardly giving any thought to why we're even here. All of us do well to get a heavy dose of the urgency of the mission. Also, the mission of the church is in enemy territory. We're seeking to make disciples behind enemy lines. In verse 19, we're told, go and make disciples of all the nations. Everywhere. In Mark 16, verse 15, we're told to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Where are we going? Into all the world. What does scripture say about the world and, and the world system? Well, the kingdom of this world has a prince. And his name is Satan. And we read in scripture that he's actively blinding people's eyes from the truth so that they'll remain in darkness and slavery and bondage. And the world as a whole, the system, it hates God. And the mission of the church is to go there and share the good news. To be light in a dark place. Also, the mission of the church, it's, it's all or nothing. When Jesus calls people to follow him and sends them out on the mission, it's all or nothing. And Jesus is really, don't think of Jesus as this, this wishy-washy man. Hey, why don't you sit there a while and think about it, you know? <laughs> why don't you see if you have anything else to do? No, no, no. Given the significance of the mission and the greatness of the king, nothing else but wholehearted commitment will do. It's all or nothing. Jesus said things like this in Matthew 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Luke 9, verse 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and, and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And you remember in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, all these these. Various churches are being addressed, and one particular church is addressed this way. Uh, the church of Laodicea, Revelation 3, 14 to 16 says, And the angel or the messenger of the church in Laodicea write, or to, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, I know your works. You are neither hot, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is not, hey, why don't you sit there in the middle somewhere? No, no, no. Jesus calls us to be all in as we live for him and as we live on mission. The call to salvation and consequently to the mission of the church is not a call to, to straddle the fence. It's not a call to be halfway in. It's actually something much more like this. It is a call to leverage all that you have and all that you are for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question is, how do I do that? In my particular situation, and it's different than the person next to me, but how can I personally leverage all that I have and all that I am for the mission? The mission of the church is calling your name. 
When God called you to salvation, he called you to the mission. Uh, the words of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, they were written for you. And we go, oh, yeah, those, they were written for his disciples, Jesus' disciples. Well, here's the thing. In order for the disciples of Jesus Christ to succeed, they needed to pass the mission on so that it becomes ours too. A, a disciple, Jesus said, "Go, make, you're my disciples, go make more. Disciples reproduce themselves and they just keep passing the mission on and it expands and it grows and it, it pushes further and further out to more and more people. Are you committed to Christ? The church has a mission in the world. And if you want to know if you're committed to Christ, there are many, many places that you could look. As I said, we're just looking two places this morning. But if you want to know if you're committed to Christ, then look at your commitment to the mission. That's one of the places you can look. Are you sharing the good news in, in your context? And however, in whatever settings God has uh, put you in and allowed you to do that, is that on your mind? And are you spiritually mentoring anyone, whether that be formally or informally? Are you saying, okay, I, I want to follow Christ myself, but I want to help other people do that. And I want to invest in other people. And I, I want to teach other people, whether that's through my words or through my actions, but I am going to be in a very intentional disciple maker. A second reminder this morning, the church marches. Uh, and when I speak of the church, I'm speaking of God's people everywhere, the universal church. The church marches on the mission in units. How so? Well, the units are called churches. And what the universal church does, it does through local churches. That's the consistent pattern that we see again and again throughout the New Testament. Uh, just look at Paul's letters. I mean, you open up to the first page of almost any of those letters and, and uh, even the first couple verses, and what do you see? Again and again, you see this pattern uh, that almost every one of those letters, it's addressed to a specific local church or to the leaders of specific local churches or to a group of local churches in a region. If we go back in history to uh, the era of, say, World War II, I would imagine that almost every individual who signed up to fight for their country or who was drafted by their country was then in short order assigned to a unit. To be in the military is to have a unit, and the same could be said of the church. To be in the church universal is to be part of a church local. It's to have a unit. It's how it works. And it's the captain's plan, and it's his good plan. Uh, and the units, are they're each unique. No two of them are the same. Uh, in a sense, we might say they're like snowflakes in that regard. You could visit a million of them. You could be a part of several different churches, and you will not find two churches that are identical. Uh, you just won't. How do we know? Well, if you've been with us in our study of 1 Corinthians, just think about some of the things that we've learned there. In the opening chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks to the Corinthians about their unique spiritual gifting. And he tells them that God has uh, uniquely and spiritually gifted them as a church. And in fact, in, in the Corinthians case, he had given them this, just this whole spectrum of spiritual gifts. 
And by so doing, he had uniquely equipped that particular church and that particular setting uh, for the Great Commission. And in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verse 11, it talks about how God apportions to each, each one these gifts individually as he wills. God, according to his perfect plan, is, is giving different people different gifts and different ministry functions in every church. And consequently, no two are the same. The net result is that the units are each unique and providentially equipped to carry on the mission in their context. Going back to the military analogy, the militaries of most countries have multiple units or branches. Uh, you've got naval units. You would have air force units and ground units and special ops units and, and so much more. And each of those units has probably been equipped in a slightly different way or a drastically different way. But all of those units have been equipped, outfitted, and trained for the exact same purpose, the mission. They're all fighting for the same country. In God's church, each of the units are unique. Some will be better equipped to make disciples by air and by foot and by sea. Uh, some will have great strength in, in some ways and be weaker in others. God's sovereign making of units and uniquely gifting those units, though, it's good and it's beautiful and it's a healthy thing. And the units, they all have leaders. A great shepherd places under shepherds in each flock or unit. And I want to highlight something that's simple and yet profound. It's something that if you've been through our new members class, we, we try to bring up with everybody who goes through that. The New Testament assumes that those shepherds know who their sheep are, and it also assumes that the sheep know who their shepherds are. Let me read a couple verses uh, where that is assumed. Uh, first from 1 Peter 5, 1-2. Verse 1 starts, So I exhort the elders among you. And that's an interesting phrase, the elders among you. And then verse 2, the, those elders are told, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherds should be able to identify their sheep. They should go, okay, I'm looking out among me, and, and these are the sheep. This is the flock. And on the flip side of that, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, uh, the Thessalonian Christians are being addressed and there Paul writes to them and he says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And again, so much of, of, of what I want to highlight here is what's just implied and assumed in those verses. He's assuming that you have shepherds among you. And he's assuming that uh, you know who's over you in the Lord. Sheep should be able to identify and point to their shepherds and spiritual authorities. By the way, I don't want you to think that first and foremost what I'm talking about right now is church membership. Uh, I, I think that's certainly part of this. But I'm talking about the importance of you engaging in the mission of the church with a local body of believers. You could be a church member and not be committed to the mission. Right? But the mission, how does the mission happen? It happens in local churches. If the chief shepherd, the captain of captains, came to you with a simple question, of course he always would know the answer, but let's just say hypothetically he was asking you a question. If the chief shepherd, the captain of captains, came to you and said, who is your shepherd and where's your unit? 
Could you identify in no uncertain terms, without any form of hesitation, who your leaders are? Just black and white. Yes, sir. My leaders are Pastor Nate Utley and Pastor Greg Hunter. Or Elder Greg Hunter. You know, it just makes him sound dignified. Um, could you do that? It's this man, and it's that man, and it's this man as part of this assembly. Or would you hesitate and you'd pause? And, I don't know. By the way, no one online fits the bill. It's those who labor uh, among you, as both of those passages that I just gave you said. Um, if you can't identify your leaders and your unit, not just in word, but in heart, then that's a big, big problem that really needs remedied. Along similar lines, the units are quantifiable. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, the Corinthian church had to remove an unrepentant man from the unit, we might say. Why do they need to remove him? Well, he was living in sin, and, and when confronted about it, he wouldn't repent. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, says this. It says, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. The church had to remove him from the unit. I mean, not a pleasant experience for any body of believers. A very difficult step to take. And I'll just highlight from that passage, it says, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. You can't have a majority unless you first have a whole. When the Corinthians went to take this very hard step, apparently they knew who their church was. And they could identify the whole. And they got together as a unit and by the majority made that decision. Also, the units are central to the success of the mission. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said these famous words. He said, I will build my church. And I think we want to remember at the end of the day, it's God who does it. It's Christ who does it. And we get to be involved in the process. But he said, I will build my church. And when he went to put his money where his mouth was on that one, he died on the cross to build his church. He rose from the grave to build his church. And he sent out apostles and delegates to plant what? Local churches or units. And in the New Testament, we see leaders being set up in those churches and we see them being formed and growing and expanding and pushing the gospel out further and further and further from Jerusalem. What's the captain's strategy for the mission? It's local churches who herald the gospel from their pulpits and send out their people into everyday life all throughout the week with the exact same message of good news. And when people hear and believe, those units, they get to work. Collectively, they get to work. And uh, with each member of the body doing their part to be a disciple maker and to help other people grow. And we all have slightly different roles that we play, but the, the mission is we're trying to make disciples. And we're trying to, we want to see people trust in Christ. And once they do, we want to help them grow. We want to intensely model what it looks like to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And we want to instruct in truth and, 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 and just model and mentor even just in everyday life. Here's what this looks like. 
In God's plan, the units are central to the success of the mission. And while that is true, that the units are central to the mission, the units are central to the mission, but they are secondary to it. One of the reasons the North American church is so weak is because it often replaces the mission with the unit itself. And what I mean by that is people start looking for a unit that they're going to go on mission with. And they start looking at things like the size of the unit and the rations of the unit and the weaponry of the unit and how many rounds of ammo it has left and what the leaders are like and and how uh, much charisma they have and how well known they are. And, oh man, this unit gives me all the feels. And it's the package deal. And sooner or later, church just ends up being viewed as something to attend or experience when it is neither one of those things. It's something that we are. It's what we do. And when the mission is actually first and foremost, I think it ends up being more like this in our minds. Is this unit unwavering on the Word of God? Is this unit, does this unit have biblically qualified leadership? Is this unit spiritually healthy and unified around the word of God and the mission? Is this unit committed to the mission? And I think what happens is you end up saying things like this when you really get it. I don't really care how many people are in the unit. I don't really care how many guns it has or how many rounds of ammo are left. I want to take the hill. That's why we're here. And there's going to be units going up this side and units going up that side. Sure, but it's about the hill. And we're all in together. Which means this. I think everyone here needs to consider this. Do you have a unit? You need to get with your unit. Some of you, you've done that and you're, you're there and you'd say, you know what? Those are my leaders. That's my unit. The mission is to make disciples sunrise tomorrow morning, rain or shine. I am all in. I'll be there with my unit and I'll be going. I'm a citizen of heaven and I love my country. And some of you, that, that's where you're at. And God, it's God that's done that in you. I just say, praise God. And for others of you, maybe you're not sure who your leaders are and you don't know what unit you're with. And I just say, if the mission is as important and urgent as Jesus says it is, then it's really important that you get that figured out because time is of the essence. And if we can help you with that, please let us know. Uh, we know that choosing a church is extremely important and it should be done carefully. It's something that you should approach on the one hand with haste without being hasty. And we just want to encourage you, make sure the wheels are rolling. There are many, many Christians over the last couple of years, they just sort of got lost out there at sea drifting. Maybe you want to be all in, but you feel like actually you're hardly standing yourself and you have almost nothing to give. And you feel so tired and tattered and beat up and whatever else. Like maybe, maybe you've taken heavy fire yourself and you feel hit and down and you need help. Listen, if, if we've got a man down, we're going to be there for him. 
that's part of the beauty of, of God's plan for the units. Whatever we do, we're together. And we need that. And at one point along the journey, you're going to be the one that needs it. And some other point, somebody else is going to need you there for them. And that's what the body of Christ does. I would also say I think it's been very easy for people to clamor and clamor and clamor about the government getting out of the church. And I, I, I think that's the sort of thing. How could, how could any of us look at that dynamic and not at least have questions and go, is that right? I mean, everybody's wrestling with that. Lots of people have been talking about it over the last couple of years. It's been easy for people to clamor about the government getting out of the church. But maybe the big question to ask is this. Am I in the church? I want the government out. But am I in? Am I in? Or has the government been in church more than me lately? Is the government, you know, what about me? Am I in? And yeah, what I, the government thing, that's a really important thing. It, it should, what's going on, I mean, that, that should cause everybody to, okay, let, this is important. But what about you? Are you in? Are you with your unit, living life with them and committed to the mission with a body? Also, the safest places to be is with a unit. Uh, if you want to hang out in the Christian life somewhere out there in no man's land and straddle the fence, what happens there is you're going to get shot. You're going to get eaten up. You're going to get devoured. And maybe for some of you, that's happening currently. And I'll just remind you, what's God's plan? God's safe, good plan for you is with another group of believers. That's how we journey through this life on mission. We do it together. Maybe your unit isn't Beaumont Baptist Church. And uh, listen, we recognize that. We're not, by the way, we're not trying to s- assemble a large numeric unit. If that's something that God does, then great. What we want to do is we want to go on the mission. We want to protect that in our church. We want to prioritize it and keep coming back to that. Is this what we're all about? Have we lost focus? Are we drifting? Do we we need to look at ourselves and then look at our brethren and go, how are we doing? Are you committed to Christ? The church marches on its mission and units. And if you want to know if you're committed to Christ and the mission, then one of the places that you should look at is your commitment to the mission with your unit. And I just think it's worth all of us taking the time to slow down and take a good hard look at our commitment to the mission and whether or not we're going on it with a local body of believers. You know what? I think, I think that a lot of that is happening. And it is good. And it is awesome. And we want to see it keep happening by the grace of God. And, you know, if you just need help sorting through any of that, we want to help do that with you. And uh, by God's grace, hopefully here at Beaumont Baptist Church, we'll be a, a unit that says, let's hate the gospel to our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones. And let's live it. And let's let's help other people grow. And let's do that together by the grace of God. Would you bow your heads with me at this time? Uh, Why don't you take the next few moments here as you're sitting there in your seat and uh, spend some time with the Lord yourself, however he's leading you to respond. And um, maybe you just want to take a few minutes and 
praise God for his plan for the church and the mission and that somebody brought the good news to you. Um, maybe you want to thank God for his plan for the church. Maybe you want to pray for someone. You just, as God leads you, you respond here in prayer and I'll, I'll wrap up here momentarily by closing.